You're a high octane business owner. You've got a team. On paper, it looks like you're rolling in success. But there's a voice inside of you, whisper screaming, this isn't sustainable. Something feels off and I'm gonna lose it all. Sound familiar? That's where I come in. My name is Lauren Goldstein, and I'm the CEO at Golden Key Partnership. I help top-level executives like you avoid burning out and burning down as you're scaling up. How? By harnessing your superpowers, finding and hiring your ideal team, and then simplifying the heck out of your business operations. That was easy. It's my mission and the mission of this podcast to help you see operations in a whole new light, to help you diagnose the real root cause of your company challenges and to bring your business back to a healthy flow and profit. They call me the business doctor and this is the biz doctor podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about today's show because I have special guest Hillary Weiss and we are going to jam on something that I see stop a lot of female business owners from having a bigger impact, myself included, which is imposter syndrome and playing small. So stick around if you want to know how to break up with this bad boy for good. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the entrepreneurial roller coaster, what it takes to be successful, how to outwit the devil of imposter syndrome, and how to step into the spotlight and stop playing small with your brilliance. It's going to be an episode you do not want to miss. Now, this episode is especially close to my heart because I am lucky enough to not only be friends with this brilliant lady, but I've had the pleasure of experiencing her brilliance firsthand as a client with her amazing power position service, because I realized not that long ago just how much my imposter syndrome was keeping me stuck. But before we dive into today's juicy goodness, let me properly introduce my expert guest, Hillary. Hillary Weiss is creative director, positioning coach, and founder of Statement Peace Studio and HillaryWeiss.com. She's also the co-host of cult favorite YouTube marketing talk show, Hillary and Margot Yell at Websites, hashtag HamYa, which I just have to say is one of my very favorite things on the internet, so go check them out, and has her, had her work featured on Business Insider, The Next Web, The Observer, and more. Since 2011, she's helped thousands of brands all over the world get seen and heard and make serious cash through her one-on-one client work, writing, coaching, and videos. Nowadays, she's on a mission to help more small businesses define their statement piece, aka the bold point of view that makes them radically relevant to their perfect people. Bottom line, y'all, she's a badass boss lady making waves, and I'm so honored to have her on the show. Welcome, Hillary. Oh my gosh, what an intro. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, and it's thank you so much for mentioning our work together. It's such a pleasure to work with you. Uh, we have so much to talk about today, so when you invited me on the podcast, it was just an immediate full body yes, can we do it tomorrow? So really, really excited Yay. to be diving into all this today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks so much for joining. And yes, I know. I'm just, I've been looking forward to this episode forever. So why don't we, why don't we dive right in and not keep everybody waiting? So let's talk about this entrepreneurial roller coaster. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes with all 
all the success we see online, it's hard to realize that entrepreneurship comes with highs, lows, and everything in between. And I think you actually have a fun way of labeling this phenomena, don't you? Do I? <laughs> Do you have I, it in your notes? I, I, I so. have so many silly quips I know. for the business and the entrepreneurial roller coaster. <laughs> but one period of the entrepreneurial roller coaster that we talk about a lot is the nonsense gap, um, mm. which is that last 70% of any project. Um, but are, is that what you were referencing? Should we dig in there? Yes, we should okay. definitely <laughs> dig in there. But I think I've, I've, I saw it many moons ago. Something about emo something or other. Mm. The entrepreneurial emo phase. Yes. Okay, let's let's yes. talk about that. And then we'll talk about the nonsense gap. Yes. Okay, so, can't wait. This is something I talk about with my clients a lot and just people, colleagues, people I casually meet in the online business space. And I think there is this idea sometimes in business, especially when you start out and things start going well, that the line is always going to go up and to the right. Um, but business is a lot more ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. The tide goes in, the tide goes out, etc. Nature metaphors. Um, but I think the you kind of hit a few points in your journey that are kind of universal. Um, and the entrepreneurial emo phase, I did a whole episode of my uh, coach Susan Hyatt's podcast about that, um, where it's basically the moment when you are in business for two to three years, you're kind of making good progress, um, but then all of a sudden the shine starts to wear off a little bit um, <laughs> on the industry, on your work, on who you work with, on the habits you see other people have. And this also happens, especially in an industry like the coaching industry, which I'm you know, very active and um, that there gets to be frustration with like sometimes the nature of the work itself. Coaching is uh, the example I use because it is unregulated. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there can be a lot of issues in the space, a lot of spaces, you know, vulnerable people who can be caught up in difficult situations. Um, I also work in the marketing space. So sometimes people will use marketing tactics that are not super great. Um, and so you start looking around and you're realizing that not everything is as it's Seems. And so I call it the entrepreneurial emo phase because I think every business owner, especially every opinionated business owner, um, can start looking around and seeing what's wrong. And if they are like I was in my entrepreneurial emo phase, you start writing about it and sharing about it and pointing it out. And mm -hmm. that's actually a wonderful tool to start conversations, to find people who think like you. Um, and I have no regrets about that era of my business or my content strategy. <laughs> However, um, the reason why I call it the entrepreneurial emo phase is it's it's very much um, sort of like, I don't know if you had an emo phase, Lauren. I certainly did. 100%. Amazing. <laughs> you know, Simple Plan was on the charts. Good Charlotte yeah. was number one. It was a whole yeah. era. Amazing. Um, but the reason why I called the emo phase is because it's a little like when you're in that phase in high school where you kind of you kind of get to that darker place because you're getting a little bit more aware of the world. You look around and you see like the ills of the things that are happening. Mm -hmm. We've taken for granted. You realize that there's more going on under the surface. Um, and so, you know, you start wearing all black and a little knife necklace and you start unironically <laughs> listening to My Chemical Romance, I guess. I don't know who decided that was the route, but that's how we do it here in the good all US of A. Um, but, but I think the big, the reason why I call it that is because it is in some ways a maturing of the business, but also in some ways 
you, it's very clear when somebody is going through this phase because they don't necessarily have a, gr- a total grasp on why things work the way they are. Because they can be, con- you can be convinced that you, XYZ thing you're seeing is wrong or XYZ thing you're seeing isn't working. But the longer I'm in business, the more agnostic I become about so much. Obviously, mm-hmm. not the unethical stuff, not the lying, cheating, stealing. Absolutely not. That will never be okay. But one example I like to use is when I was in my entrepreneurial emo phase, one thing that I used to rail about a little bit was how many emails people would send during a launch sequence. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a copywriter. I don't know why I took that road. I was doing more website copy at the time. Email wasn't as big. This is like probably 20, between 2014 and 2016. So people were just mm-hmm. starting to get wise. Um, but I was like, why are these people sending so many emails? Why am I writing so many emails for these launches? <laughs> if the product is good, you don't need to send so many emails. This is so frustrating. And Of course, I had no idea what I was talking about, but I was very convinced I was correct. (laughs) Um, And it was one of those moments where it wasn't until I had to step forward, step up to the plate and start doing this work for myself to sell my first course, my first program, my first thing that wasn't one-to-one service, basically exchanging deliverables for dollars. Um, And that was such a wake-up call realizing like, oh, we need to send between seven and 10 emails because people need to be reminded 50,000 times before they buy. (laughs) They need a lot of information. This is just how buyer psychology and human psychology works. Um, And there were a bunch of, there are some big things that I hold the same opinions on, but I've, I've shifted so much in my understanding of business, having been in both chairs now, having been the creative service provider and contractor, because I was a copywriter for 10 years before I was doing the work I do now, um, and switching into that role of being the CEO. And I know this is something Mm -hmm. that you help people do so beautifully, Lauren, really moving into that space of, okay, I'm actually creating things for people. I have an audience I need to sell to. What actually works? Um, and so often the stuff that you see in your email phase that you're like, why are you posting so much? It's annoying. Have no relevance to <laughs> the overall purpose of business, which is to make money. You know, mm-hmm. and I think um, it has no like the your opinions on how people might be perceiving things and or how you perceive things from the outside can differ so far so much from what's actually happening in the business. And you see this on both sides of the coin, right? Sometimes you see people who mm-hmm. are like, we're doing seven figures and they're making no profit and they're spending every dollar that they have. Yeah. Uh, or you have people who or you look at somebody who's like, man, they always post XYZ. It's annoying, not for me. And they're making t- tons of money helping so mm-hmm. many people with their little janky whatever it is. So there's you realize I think the more in the roller coaster of business so many times you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and mm-hmm. you can make your best guess uh, and you get more discerning and smarter about it as time goes on. Um but I find the emo phase particularly is important because you need to learn to be discerning. You start yes. the business in the business world and you're like, it's like, um, you know, that motif where people are getting off the bus in New York City, the girl from the Midwest, and she's carrying her little suitcase and she's like, ah, I'm in the big city. <laughs> and that's how business can feel sometimes. Um, but then as you become more discerning, you figure out what you like, what you don't. And then as you continue to mature uh, in your business and in your experience as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, you start to you release judgment a little bit, but you also start to think, say the old adage that frustrates so many people when they're talking to a seasoned marketing strategist, which is, should I do X, Y, Z? And their answer is always, it depends. So (laughs) (laughs) that's my very long answer to the entrepreneurial emo phase. I love that. I love that. (laughs) And that's like such a good segue into 
The nonsense gap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. You want me to talk about the nonsense gap? <gasps> yes. The nonsense gap, I find... <clears throat> so what I don't think... Entrepreneurs get lauded as as courageous a lot but i don't think people realize how much courage and stamina it actually takes uh Mm -hmm. to execute on something particularly because the longer you are creating content products programs offers in your business the more you start to see your own patterns uh the imposter Mm -hmm. you starts with the imposter syndrome and you have to be like no and you get about you know 70 70% through the project you're almost there you just have a few more things to tie up or like a few weeks to launch and all of a sudden everything starts coming up again all those doubts you started mm-hmm. with all those uncertainties all the the good the bad feedback that might happen all the worst case scenarios start making so much noise in your head and that's why i think a lot of entrepreneurs get a pretty far with a lot of things but end up dropping a lot of things um one because sometimes you got to kill your darlings but two because that last 30 percent is so hard it's like the last few miles of a marathon you've come so far far and you still have mm-hmm. so far you feel like you have so far to go even though it's still a fraction um and the yeah. nonsense gap again is basically that period of time where you're gearing up to launch you're just about ready and all of a sudden you're like oh my god wait what if everything is wrong what if i hate it what if everyone hates me what if i screw this up what if people see it people with <laughs> eyes um and you know there's so many things that will fly around your head as you go through the constant constant process of creation and the vulnerable space of putting yourself out there and selling and sharing from this this open place that you have to especially when in the business you're both the the face of the business and the product, especially as a creative service provider, as an educator, uh, as a coach, consultant, product creator, course developer. Um, and so it's a really interesting experience coming to to terms with the fact that the nonsense gap exists. And it's not always like your intuition trying to tell you it's wrong. Sometimes it's just your little fight or flight trying to uh, protect you from the lions outside. But it's been a while since we've actually had to deal with lions outside the cave. So it's such an important practice to be able to name it, which is why we called it the nonsense gap. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. And it speaks to me. I remember when you did an Instagram live about this. Yeah. And also, y'all, if you're not following her on Instagram, you are missing out. Come see like, me. I do, I'm taking videos of doing pull-ups recently, but there's yeah. other content, I promise. There's, <laughs> there's other content. It's like literally the highlight of my Instagram Aww. days. Um, but you. I remember when, um, when you started talking about this and I was like, oh my God, that's it. That's it. That's why I've been secret launching for years. <laughs> Yes. That's the other thing. Like the nonsense gap will make you pull the punch. Um, And that's why you have people who are like, I'm going to launch it or they get one or two days in and there's no sales or not the sales they expected. So they pull it. So much of entrepreneurship is having that stamina to take it across the finish line. And sometimes like, yes, there will be some things that like it doesn't work out and you like quickly close the doors and you're like, no one saw that. But overall, you need to be in the practice of finishing what you start in business. And that's really what separates, I think, uh, the women from the girls in so many in so many cases because also if you think about launching as an experience just as an experience not even as like a sales push you know the first time you launch something in public 
it's often you're not going to have your highest sales on that first launch usually. You know, it's brand awareness. It's a chance for people to get to know that you even offer this thing. It's a chance for you to explain the theory behind it and all that good stuff. Um, And so you have to do things over and over and over again. It's usually not till at least the second or third launch that you really start to master how to sell this, how to frame it. Um, the, The product has to be Go through a bunch of rounds before you can really get it into fighting shape so it works for the people taking it. There's so much that needs to be tested, tried, and iterated. And I think when we envision ourselves as entrepreneurs, sometimes we have this extra t- expectation that we're just going to poop out perfect things all the time. And there's just never going to be a moment where we fail people or screw up or need to improve something. And so if we if that happens, which inevitably it will, because if you are in the creation process that entrepreneurship requires, like, of course, there's going to be stuff that works and stuff that doesn't. But I think especially women, because of this, the imposter syndrome we all struggle with, we take that as a sign that we shouldn't be here or something is wrong. When in reality, it's actually you're doing everything right. You're getting exactly what you need, which is the data about what works, what doesn't, what is your audience actually want. So you can continue to refine. I love this so much. I I know this is where the term launch and learn came mm. from. <laughs> and, and it sounds like, so one of the things, you know, that as a recovering perfectionist, I love to get ready, to get ready, to get ready, to get <laughs> You're ready. You're a list maker. Yeah, yeah. I'm a list maker. My to-do lists have to-do lists. Yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just they need backup. Yeah. Um, and so like it sounds like the way to like kick this sneaky devil imposter syndrome out the door is to actually just really start launching and learning and getting the data and not being afraid of that other F word feedback, because that's actually how you're going to create something that's even better and is going to serve your audience. Like what other, what other ways have you seen to be really effective to, you know, just take this imposter syndrome and Mm. Shove it out the door with all its luggage. <laughs> I mean, with all of its luggage. The first thing I think the most useful piece of advice I ever got is that the imposter syndrome voice never goes away, but it does get quieter. Um, and I think we did a Hamya mm-hmm. episode on this ages ago. And uh, the the agreement we came to was that the only way out is through with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I think the big challenge, especially because it's such a topic of conversation in the women's space, some people can get so absorbed with talking about their imposter syndrome and thinking about it and trying to work around it. And like it's always at the forefront that it takes over. Um, but mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that the more power that you give it, the more power that it has, uh, which seems Mm. obvious. But I think that a lot of, again, women in particular, when thinking about their imposter syndrome or or taking it as an item of consideration in the overall progress of their business, of their creativity, of of their, their career, I find that it can be a, there's a little bit of romance and being like, oh, I couldn't possibly. My imposter syndrome. Well, no, I'm so, I'm just very, del- I'm a very special flower. I'm a very delicate flower. And my imposter syndrome is much louder than everybody else's. Um, and so mm-hmm. I cannot do it. I'm going to mm-hmm. secret launch. Like I'm going to, some, I'm go- I want to sell without Guilty. selling. How do I do that? And you you can't, that's the problem. Um, but I think it's, it's twofold. One, the process of selling is deeply vulnerable, especially as I mentioned previously, if you are both the uh, face and the product. And regardless, Mm -hmm. selling something that you've made and believe in is deeply vulnerable. Um, And I think 
again, if we take the stance that that vulnerability, the imposter syndrome, the nonsense gap, the doubt isn't a bug, it's a feature. It's just mm-hmm. going to be there. Um, and I found for me, the sooner I accepted that, the the easier it became with time and with reps to I, I can't even use the word overcome it, um, but to let that voice be quieter and quieter and be able to put it aside. I think Brene Brown talks about uh, working working with fear like this, where mm-hmm. it's like, listen, I understand that you're trying to keep us safe. I appreciate that you'll always be here, but you cannot drive right now. You are not yes. in any state to drive. Look at you. You're like a trembling chihuahua. Um, so... <laughs> And no offense to chihuahuas, but you know, um, but I think, and really, and I talk to my clients about this all the time, because again, I think imposter syndrome creates the illusion that something is wrong. Um, but it's just a part of the process of being in that vulnerable space of selling, of showing up in your content, of being present, of sharing your ideas, like anything. We, it's easy to feel like, oh, it's so much fun to get out there and like do this in a public space and blah, 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 um, and do it on social media. Isn't it great? And it is. But you reach that point, I think, when you when you start to do it, where you realize that you're like, oh, no, I'm up on stage and everyone's looking at me even if they're not. But that's that like (laughs) cold splash of water on the back of your neck that you're like, oh no. Um, And that's where a lot of people stop because they feel like no one else is feeling that feeling, that it's a warning, that they shouldn't be here or don't belong here. And that is so the opposite of the case. And really to the point, Margot, and I made, you know, so many years ago, really the only way out is through. And I think that's the meanest part of the whole experience of imposter syndrome. <laughs> because unless you grit your teeth and get and work your way through the swamp over and over and over until you know where that swamp is on the map and you can be like, all right, swamp's coming up, like put my bags on my head, let's go. Um, until you do that over and over, until you choose in to working mm-hmm. with that imposter syndrome and willing to be with it and let it go quieter and quieter as you build the data to prove for yourself that your work is worthy, that people want what you have to give, that people are interested in what you have to say, then, only then, can the imposter syndrome voice get quieter. Um, and you also have to give it space to, because I think especially when you're prone to anxiety, sometimes you can go fishing for that imposter syndrome. I know that's my problem. Um, where I can, I'm like, I, I, I I think I likened it to stabbing myself in the leg mentally um, because I'm like, wait, if I don't feel the imposter syndrome, if I'm not a little bit terrified, am I still going to do a good job? And that's Mm. the next, I think, iteration once you learn to dance with imposter syndrome and fear itself is to uh, sort of drop it as an indicator that you've tried hard enough. Um, and that's the mm. practice that I'm in now is letting myself be confident is letting, and letting myself trust myself. And it's taken, you know, 11 years to get here. Um, hopefully it takes everyone listening a lot shorter amount of time. doesn't have to take you over a decade. Um, but that's, that's the, those are all sort of the key elements I find myself talking about so often when it comes to imposter syndrome. And I, I really think that it is an insidious insidious little beast, especially among Mm -hmm. women in the business space. And uh, I think also the more we talk about it and the more we see it as something that's just kind of there, the less power we give it and the less we can feed it. I love that. Oh, there was so much goodness in that. Three things that I'm taking away. Now my imposter syndrome is named Chi Chi and she is a chihuahua. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I did. I made that joke. 
I was like, I'm an imposter. I've been picturing my imposter syndrome because some people are like, give it a name. Like, give it a mean girl name. Make it Regina George. And I was yes. like, I'm going to name mine Fru-Fru. And it's a shih tzu that really likes humping legs. So that's how I picture my imposter syndrome, which is much more effective than picturing, you know, the new Regina much. George. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. So great. Uh, the second thing that comes to mind that I love you just talking about this is the age old adage that what we resist persists. And it sounds like, like the more you resist the imposter syndrome and not talking about it, like the more it's going to stick around and hold you hostage. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, and that's like being hostage to your imposter syndrome. Not great. Not great at all. Um, Not at all. And I like that you, it's absolutely a hostage situation. Like it's a prison (laughs) of your own making because it Mm -hmm. makes you so afraid. And I want to validate people listening because there's nothing wrong with you if you feel that way. It's a byproduct of vulnerability. Um, But it's up to you to choose out. It's up to you to, to decide to sort of continue moving forward even so. But yeah, hostage is a great way to describe it for sure. Yeah. And then the third thing that I'm I'm reminded of is... This funny little thing called the gap. I don't know if you're familiar with the gap, and this is not like a mind the gap from London town, but it's more of like the gap is the space between where you are, which is generally your comfort zone and where you want to be. And the gap is where all the growth happens and where all the magic happens and where you like are in this like wobbly like I think of it, I think of the gap as like a newborn foal, like a horse that's like trying to walk right after it was born. And it's like all wobbly and falling over, and you're like, oh <laughs> yeah. no, I just like, yeah. can I just crawl back in? It was nice and warm in there. This is weird, um, yeah. right? And so Return I think to that, the womb. yeah, absolutely, exactly, exactly. It's like no, no, this was great. Yeah. Um, and I just I see even with my clients, I see a lot of them. Who are so uncomfortably comfortable. Like, yeah. they're like, I don't like my business right now. My team is, you know, not performing or so much is still falling on me or I know we could be doing things better. But this is like a known quantity. So I don't like it, but it's known. And I'd rather yeah. stay here where things yeah. are not working Absolutely than like right. take the risk of like, I don't know, having a dream business and dream team mm-hmm. and like actually making a bigger impact and keeping more profits. Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. I just love that. <laughs> I think I think too like I love that you raised that point is the in the fear of the unknown because we often talk about like taking the leap as starting the business in the first place and like daring to mm. do that but there are also a million leaps you are going to have you're going to just throw yourself off so many cliffs in entrepreneurship and to your so point true. Like, it's so, just so all of the cliffs it's basically base jumping spiritual base jumping is what uh is what <laughs> entrepreneurship a is with no parachute it's just you no sometimes, sometimes you go splat. Uh, but sometimes yep. you fly and you're like, wow, I wasn't even wearing a parachute. I'm, I'm impressed oh, no. with myself. Pegasus um, right here. You, you find out you're superwoman or Pegasus. Superwoman. I actually prefer that yes. one. All of a sudden you <laughs> sprout a horse butt and wings and off you go. Um, but I think that you're right. And I see this too with so many of my clients where the familiar feels so much more secure than the than even an improved future. Um, and I think um, sometimes we can get a little gun shy with that as entrepreneurs because like you try, you fail, you try again, you fail a little better and try some more and you succeed. Um, and I think this is actually something I've noticed now that I'm like in my mid thirties and 
you know, moving, moving through life and business, been, been in business a long time now. Um, and I hate being new at stuff. Like mm, I don't, I yes. don't like it. I don't like no. it anymore. I'm over it. Especially when you get to a certain point in your career where like you're established and people respect you. And then all of a sudden you like, I don't know, take like a salsa dancing class and you have two left feet. And it's like, do you have any idea how much people on the internet respect me for something totally unrelated? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I think there can be that part too. Like it's not fun to be new at not stuff, fun. but this is, this is, this is the, this is the shadow side of entrepreneurship and so many ways like you have to be willing to do both like the glory the money the accolades the clout all great and one and the creativity all incredible but then there's also the imposter syndrome the the base <laughs> jumping um the <laughs> the hostage situations and everything yeah. that kind of and the, the struggling to be new at something or shift in a new direction um, it can mm-hmm. be hugely intimidating no matter how long you're around so i think it's really getting your mind and i know you do this with your clients with your work uh, with neuroscience and NLP is because it's really so much mind and matter uh, in business, mm-hmm. but you know, mostly mind, which is interesting. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And like something that you and I have talked about in our sessions is the other sneaky bedfellow of imposter syndrome, which is the comparison game of where you're like, oh, this person's similar to me and they're doing this. And like, what did you say to me the other week? How's your info diet going? (laughs) Yes, it's going great. It's going great. I'm just sitting under the blankets with a flashlight, (laughs) scrolling Instagram. Hoping I don't catch you. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm banging on the door. Like, I can see your light on. I can see your light on. Um, But it's like, it's so, it's like the blessing and curse of the digital age we live in where you can see everything and and the thing that I always like to remind myself is somebody many 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 years ago told me don't compare your behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel absolutely right Mm -hmm. and something that I'm a little bit soapboxy about is like when somebody's like oh I have a seven-figure business I'm like great is that is that like Grocery Like, what what are we talking about here? Yeah, like, exactly. If, if you're going to come brag to me on the internet about how you had a seven-figure launch and you took home $10,000, that's not impressive to me. But yes. if you had a seven-figure launch and took home, like, $700,000 seven or seven figures, yeah. like, let's talk. Yeah. And so I think that so much of, like, the imposter syndrome is, like, taking a step and being like, okay. I am unique. I do have a gift. It is necessary. And I think that that's like really what I love about your work specifically is like really taking that moment to like take your seat and say, no, like I deserve to be here and I want to stand out in the market. And so like, tell us a little bit more about what you've seen with your clients and how you work about like really helping women take their seat own their power mm-hmm. position, which I still love. Vaguely sounds like a sexual position, but that's yeah, it okay. does. Hey, it was going to be assume <laughs> the position. Actually, power position is the more tame name. That's my that's my coaching packages. Uh, power position because it's positioning coaching. Anyway, for those following along at home, <laughs> for those of you that don't know that we have a really awesome sense of humor, you are welcome. Um. So yes, I just I just I love. I love this program that you have or service that you have because it really, I feel like especially with women business owners, like to your point from a couple minutes ago, 
like how many of us are really not making the impact we could because we're afraid to like take our seat and assume the position. <laughs> yeah, exactly so, like, right. Walk us through that. Walk us okay, through that. <laughs> so a lot of what I do, especially, so there are everybody, every single client I've ever worked with has an issue with comparison just because that's how social media works. That's how mm-hmm. the algorithm functions. Like, hey, you like this thing? What about somebody doing it even better than you? Would you like that? Oh. Would you like to see that? And Would like, you like to feel worse really? about yourself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to heart it anyway. Because there's, oh God. Oh, so there's, yeah. there's, the thing the thing about social media to your point absolutely and and everybody know everybody like that adage is so so valuable that don't compare your behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel absolutely but we still do it and there we, we are still do it. um Ugh. so i find one of the things i find myself telling a lot of clients is they have to they have to prune who they're following like all mm. of those people who make them feel and it, that the other problem is i think a lot of women because we are yeah, nurturing beings, so to speak, I suppose. We're like, well, I don't want to unfollow them. It's my problem. You know, it's not them. <laughs> like, they're not doing anything wrong. And to the point, to their point, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's so important to get really ruthless about your digital environment. And this is something I figured mm-hmm. out a couple of years ago. Um, this was actually my coach, Susan Hyatt's advice from her book. And I remember she was like, get rid of anything in your environment that makes you feel like like crap. Um, except she didn't say crap, you know, but, uh, Marie Kondo that yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> I remember going through, she, I started with my desk and I got rid of a bunch of like business books that I've never read and was feeling every time I looked at them, I felt so guilty because I was like, I'm not reading. I'm not a business. I'm not a businesswoman because I'm not reading the businesswoman books. <laughs> oh, like no. who am I? Got rid- donated all those suckers to Goodwill. Um, and like, so I got rid of so much like old, like workout equipment, old, like quote unquote, aspirational jeans and my wardrobe that I haven't fit in since I was. <laughs> 19 i was holding on to them for i don't know I, there's well, always listen. hope yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but the last time i was that small i was in college living off like peanut m&ms and diet coke so it's not wasn't a good situation <laughs> for anybody um but the the other piece of that was really cleaning up my social media who i was following and i had mm. some guilt about unfollowing some people who I really liked and respected as people, but having them in my virtual space made just being on social media so horrible because I, it was the comparisonitis and it's, it's a million little things, right? Like I would never, I can never take a photo that beautiful or like I could never mm-hmm. make a post like that post was so thoughtful. I should have said that, um, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, everybody, she's sold out already. Wow. Like my stuff is, um, you know, we're having a harder time this launch. Mm-hmm. What, what am I doing? wrong something's wrong with me like getting really ruthless about saying no to taking in that kind of content because it's i i dare say you know it's an addiction like anything else we can become hungry to see those things in front of us because it it plays into our imposter syndrome and it reminds us like oh no we were right we are really worthless it's true it's true let me scroll some more of this content so i can remind myself because if i don't humble myself how will i ever succeed um and i think that it is a miscalculation also to spend a lot of time in business looking around at what your competitors and colleagues are doing um, because then you get into a serious case of info overload. Then it's basically like flooding your neurons with information that you don't necessarily need and isn't relevant to you. Um, I am, especially when I'm launching or creating something new or writing copy for myself, which I still do, 
I put myself on a, like, you are forbidden to look at your competitor's websites diet. Like I am blocked. (laughs) I tell my team, I'm like, don't let me look. Don't let me talk about it. Like I just need to stay focused. And my absolute best work gets done when I put the blinders on and focus Mm. about on what's in front of me. And one of my favorite stories um, in this category happened for my very first course all the way back in like 2016, 2017. Many moons ago at this point, um, <laughs> revealing my age, but uh, I had created a copywriting course and I was so proud of it. I had taken like three years to create it and I also retired it after 18 months, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> Next um, episode. It, it was a fire hose, um, but <laughs> as everyone's first course is. But uh-huh. um, so I remember working on the sales page and this was when like Copy Hackers was really getting big. Laura Belgray, mm. I think, had just come out with the Copy Cure. Like there were so many copywriting programs out there and I was like okay mm-hmm. let me just just for just for like information about what's happening in the market let me look at all of these <laughs> and read them like five times a day while crying um no. and so before I write my sales page because if I don't do that how will it be good um yes, and yeah. so I look at all these different sales pages and I just remember every like the the key term at that point because conversion copywriting was kind of new as a concept mm-hmm. like it's basically kind of rebranded direct response copywriting um mm-hmm. but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, but everyone was talking about copy that converts on their sales pages. Copy that converts. Make your copy convert. Conversions, conversions, conversions. And I was like, ah, okay. In order to be seen as professional and awesome, this has to be the key, the focal point of my message. Because otherwise people won't take me seriously and they won't know that this is for real. And if I don't use the word conversions, am I going to be credible? So I, so I created the sales page. That was like, it was, I was happy with it. I was like, okay, you know, like based on what I'm seeing, what seems to be working for other people, here's how I've structured this and it's going to be good. And I said to my coach at the time, and I remember being like, oh my God, I said it to my coach at the time. And I remember being like, so excited for her to be like, great job. It looks so professional. Um, and she was, she responds to me and she goes, Hillary, respectfully, whose sales page is this? And I was like, it's mine. And she was like, this is not you. I was like, conversions? I've never heard you say a thing about conversions. And I was like, well, I'm supposed to. And she was like, no, mm -mm, wrong way to do it. Because people are going to come to learn copywriting from you to learn copywriting from you. You know, Mm -hmm. they see the way you move through the world. Uh, They see how much fun you are, how much passion you put into all of your projects, um, how like silly you can be. The way you see things is a little offbeat and a little different. And that's all valuable. So put your disco dress on and go write me the real sales page and i was like yes. no okay fine <laughs> so and that was and she was abs- she was absolutely right and i have taken that lesson with me through all subsequent sort of launches and i get praised mm-hmm. i get a lot of great feedback excuse me about how my stuff is unique and how I like Mm -hmm. frame things a little different and say things a little differently and see things a little differently. And that's because I am ruthless with avoiding taking in too much of other people's information and too much of other people's stuff because your business is supposed to be unique. You know, you're supposed to have Mm -hmm. that clear point of view and supposed to be able to share it fearlessly. And in order, but you cannot do that if there's so much noise and static going on because you're so concerned with what everyone else is doing and how you measure up. It makes you scared to show up in the in the way that you naturally should. That makes people naturally magnetized to you. So really, never forgot that lesson. It's a lesson I had to learn more than once, but that's the that's the biggest (laughs) the biggest breakthrough I think. The like gentle knock, then the two by four between your eyes. Uh-huh. I'm familiar with it. Exactly I'm familiar with right. That. Exactly right. <laughs> 
I love that because I remember when I first started my business, I had those same thoughts of like, how is anybody going to take me seriously? So I like I wore the suits and I was yep. like very buttoned up and like I was like so constrictive because I thought like that was the only way that people were going to take me seriously. And then I just felt back to being a prisoner. Like I was like, yes. this is not me who talks like this. And now like you can one of well, you can see like analogies are one of my favorite things yep. or creative curse words not my favorite my absolute <laughs> joke favorite my absolute favorite yep yeah um and so it's it's like when you give yourself permission to show up authentically and to your point vulnerably that's also when the imposter syndrome is the loudest going yeah who do you think you are no one's gonna take you seriously all the things and so yeah. I I just I love that so much because I oh yeah because that well that's where the good stuff is it's sort of like when you're to reference the pull-ups um it's like when you're in the gym and you're like getting through a set and you're like you've got 15 reps to do and you get to 10 and you're dying and everything is burning and you want to stop but that's actually where you get the most muscle work in like that's where the work mm-hmm. is that's where you get your gains same thing with imposter syndrome 100 percent. like when it's the loudest that does not mean stop um and it also takes practice yeah. to differentiate and especially for women, especially women who are, you know, very attuned, it, you have to practice to separate and not to get too woo here, the imposter syndrome from your intuition. That's a big mm. one um, because we can often mistake oh, yeah. imposter syndrome for like, oh, something doesn't feel right. So No, you're just scared. Calm down. Like, you're all right. No one's <laughs> no one's coming to get you. The lions are not outside the cave. But not I found outside. for me, because I'm I'm a very like gut instinct kind of person. It's in my human design mm-hmm. is for, for those for those same, following same. along at home. Splenic awareness. Um, but oh. uh, I have a really strong gut. And so for me, for a while, I was mistaking my imposter syndrome and self-doubt and insecurities for like, I don't know know divine yellow lights um and so once i sort of put that once i put that to the side a yield sign um once i put that mm-hmm. to the side to the side and i was like okay i hear this noise i hear this racket but you know and this is something that i say to myself a lot when i'm in the nonsense gap and in that last 30 percent is it's like nope I've thought this through. I've worked hard on this. Uh, often I've spent months on it already. Like I'm going to see this through. If I screw up, it's a lesson and great data. I'm going to take away so many, so much information. Mm-hmm. If it goes well, it goes well. And I celebrate and buy myself, you know, a new piece of jewelry. Um, but I find <laughs> that that the the willingness to trust yourself. And I love that you br- I just yeah, I'm obsessed with the fact that you brought that up because when you're in that vulnerability, when you're in that space of like, should I say this is the way I would say it, but should I say it this way? Are people going to take me seriously? Are they still going to like me? Like when you're in that pocket, that's often where the best stuff comes from. And it's so mm-hmm. annoying. It's so annoying because you can yep. do the basic stuff, the how to's, the like six steps to optimize your blah, 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 which is great. But people, because there's so much noise like that, it's the stuff that's real, the stuff that comes from the heart, the stuff that feels a little bit scary to say when you're sharing your point of view, your perspective, your specialty and your expertise that's where the magic is. So you have mm-hmm. to be willing. You have to learn how to live in that little pocket, you know, bring your little, bring your little like comfort blanket and French fries, but you got to go in uh, because ultimately <laughs> it's not, there are, there. I always, I had a mentor who once said, you know, your business is what you do 
but your brand, which is what everything we're talking about here encompasses, uh, your brand is what makes you different from everybody else doing mm-hmm. exactly what it is that you do. Um, and learning to master, and that's so much of what we do in Power Position, learning to master what that space is and looks like, um, and then how to share it, how to talk about it, how to frame it. That's that's where the work is. That's where the best stuff comes from. And so you've really got to learn, as I said, to, to go tunnel into the pocket instead of avoiding it and just realize that the nonsense gap is what it is go ahead and base jump uh and yep. there's, there'll always be another opportunity in the, in the worst case scenario I, I love that i love that and i think when we were we were chit-chatting and planning for this episode you were talking about sometimes we think that we have to be the biggest the loudest the boldest the funniest but what really what you're driving home is that to make your mark you have to be yourself because yeah. that's when you're gonna find the people who want to work with you because if you're if you're pretending to be Laura or mm-hmm. any other copywriter and then they say yes to you and then they're expecting this experience and they get yep. something different, like that's where I see a lot of like friction points. And one of my favorite quotes is unshared expectations are nothing more than premeditated resentments. Yeah. And so when you're talking about yourself and you're presenting yourself authentically and vulnerably, then the chances that your client's expectations about who they're going to be working with and who you're going to be showing up for them are going to be aligned and you're not going to have, um, shall we say, some of the very interesting conundrums that I had when I first started working together. Bait and switch. <laughs> Bait and switch. switch. Bait and switch. That's what it is. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah, and I think exactly. the, the most annoying, the most annoying advice in the branding space is like, just be yourself. It's like, okay, what? What does that even mean? How do I do that? <laughs> that what? Um, and I think that when we talk about vulnerability too, I just also want to underline the fact that like vulnerability, like be the feeling of vulnerability as we talk about it, and like being yourself and and sharing more of yourself and your opinions doesn't always mean like here's this terrible thing that happened to me when I was a child and like mm. how it ties into my business, which you see a lot of. Yes. Like, in recently what a cringy that? cringy um so oh yeah but i think like the act of presenting your ideas period whether it's a joke whether it's a story whether it's a vulnerable share like a, literally a vulnerable share um that is all a vulnerable space you know that is all a mm-hmm. little snippet of your personality um and when i think about encouraging people to show up as themselves. That is a practice. And so much of that I think is tied into really learning to notice your own ideas and how you think. I actually have a freebie around this called the Stanton Peace Framework, um, where you just learn to sort of study and notice your own ideas. And regarding the branding, absolutely to your point, I get asked this all the time because I was, I came out of the womb with a Godzilla of a personality. Like I've always been just like a giant monster. It was very strange being such a small child and having a personality that's like skyscraper big got me into some scrapes over the years i will tell you what um but most notably when i was three my family was at this is a size story my family was at the fair and i apparently like jumped out of my stroller to go and talk to like the carnies running the duck hunt and they couldn't find me for like 20 minutes and i was just there in my diaper just like elbow on the little bar like having a chit chat anyway um so i have a big personality and I think a lot of people, when they come and, and talk to me about branding and have questions about it, they want to sort of emulate the like big energy stuff that comes naturally mm-hmm. to me. And I always encourage them, if that's not who they are, not to do that. It's First of all, it's not necessary. It's not going to be comfortable when it comes mm-hmm. to showing up as a personal brand 
as a thought leader, as the face of your company, the CEO, it is really, really important to learn how to, you know, show up as yourself, of course. But I find the real key for creating a standout brand is sharing your ideas, sharing your expertise in a way that is radically relevant to your target. And that's mm-hmm. the big difference. I think a lot of folks think they have to be the biggest, the loudest, the brightest, the most colorful, the sparkliest, because otherwise they're going to get caught up in the noise and nobody's going to notice them. Um, but if you think to yourself about your favorite brand, some of your favorite people online, um, or some of your favorite companies and brands, period, not all of them are the ones like banging the symbols and like, you know, doing the clown show. (laughs) They're just not like, that would be exhausting to follow everybody like that as a clown show myself. Um, and I think that what I try to train my clients to do, and I know we've been working on this, you know, as we've been working through power position together too, is figure out like, what is your area that you feel most excited to talk about, be about like, what kind of ideas do you run counter to the industry at large that you have? What is the stuff that really lights you up? What's the stuff that you're like, if this was banished, from the earth tomorrow it would be too soon like all of that matters because that's how you be yourself is learning to notice those ideas those opinions those points of view and then figuring out how to frame them for the people that you're you most want to work with um and one example of this you know um i like to divide that like standout brands into kind of three categories so we have Mm -hmm. um and you can do uh, standout content in three categories you can do as many of them there's no like perfect ratio but uh the disruption disruption uh disruptive content where it's like things that run counter to industry trends. You've been doing this wrong for years and nobody knows that kind of content. (laughs) Um, The other one is dive deep. And this is a really big one. Um, I find a lot of folks, especially uh, creative service providers and consultants, can often find themselves defaulting to the basics and the how-tos. Like, I can't tell you how many copywriters looking to work with six and seven-figure businesses I've had to pull back from posting a what is copywriting post. I'm like, people, (laughs) your people know. Like, you don't have to tell them. Um, But thinking about diving deep, really getting specific about where your audience is and the kind of problems they're experiencing and the kind of things Mm -hmm. they want to know about about so you can get really nerdy. Um, a master of this is uh, Shannon Matson of The Social Bungalow. She's on Instagram. Really awesome human, mm-hmm. beloved client of mine. Um, and she she gets really granular with her tips and her strategies. She shares incredible stuff in a fabulous way, like on Instagram, that's so often like such a basics 101 platform because that's the stuff you think is going to reach a lot more people. Um, but she mm. works with a very elevated tier of client and it works so well for her. Um, So really Mm -hmm. not being afraid to do that. And then the third category is delight. Um, So it's, you know, how do you be yourself? How do you, but sharing by not just sharing the disruptive stuff, not just sharing the nerdy stuff, but also sharing a little bit of your personality. Like what are your hobbies? Mm -hmm. What do you enjoy? Like I, you get me, you mentioned my Instagram. If y'all follow me, you will see business stuff, outfit photos, uh, gym (laughs) videos, and like a lot about antique jewelry. Cause I'm a big antique jewelry nerd. I'm wearing a (laughs) coin from the civil war from 11 years after the civil war with my married initials on it as we speak. Um, It's just a passion of mine. And, but being able to share the things that delight you, that excite you, if you're a cook, you know, if you have, if you're, let's say you love gardening, if you have like, if you have like a weird obsession with niche films, um, <laughs> all of that is worth sharing and not even necessarily to, to tie into business. It's worth sharing because people want to get to know the person behind the business. It gives them a chance to get kind of a window into more of who you are as well. So when we say just just be yourself in your brand like, it's like that's and you're like 
what does that even mean? That's a way that I like to break it down for people. And not every post has to be like, let me reveal myself to you. But mixing those in is how you start to create standout concept and a standout brand. And that's how, again, sharing that kind of stuff always through the lens of what's most relevant to your target is going to be what stops the scroll, not necessarily the biggest or the loudest. Like, Think about when your if your target market is is scrolling LinkedIn, what would be a miracle of a headline for them to see in a post? You know, like what would be a meme that would make them laugh? What would be a story about what they're getting wrong or that relates or like what they're getting right that relates to them at their particular level? Um, and that stuff stands out just as much, if not more, than being the biggest, the loudest, the funniest, the noisiest in the room. Oh. This is so juicy. I could literally talk to you about this for ages. And the takeaway I'm I'm getting from all of this is to make imposter syndrome your friend. You got to go through it. Yes, ma'am. Make it fun. Get vulnerable. Know that it's completely normal. Yep. And the more you resist it, the bigger that gremlin's going to get. Yep. Um. So before we wrap this, oh, this amazing episode up, <laughs> do you have any last tips? Or oh nuggets or anything you want to share? Um, Absolutely. I think the biggest in. the biggest thing I can ever tell people is practice makes presence. Like we talked about mm. consistency. We talk about like consistency is important. Some people will tell you it's not. It is. Um, practice makes <laughs> presence. And I think that's another piece of the importance and actually like the vital do or die nature of learning to be with imposter syndrome is because if you want to build something really amazing and if you want to do things your way, you have to have the courage to show up and be persistent and just practice, practice, practice showing up. And I think that's why for so many business owners who want to be thought leaders, speakers, authors, social media is such a great platform to start to play on because it gets you in front of a bigger stage, but also you can put your phone down and walk away from it. So no one can technically see. <laughs> um, so I think that the practice makes presence. Don't be afraid. Like it's a really, it's a reps thing. If you're in that nonsense gap, in that imposter syndrome pocket, that's not always a sign to quit. That's actually a sign you're probably getting closer to the good stuff. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for having me, Lauren. You're awesome. And if anyone wants to oh. come say hi to me on Instagram, I'm uh, at HC Weiss over there. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining. I don't know about y'all listening, but I'm going to go back and listen to this to squeeze even more juice out of it because this was solid gold. And yes, go follow Hillary. You're so (laughs) welcome. It is so entertaining. Also, she might put you on your close friends list, which is even more juicy goodness. Yes. That's Um, where my deep dives live. Yes, ma'am. I know. I love it. Um, You did mention a a freebie that you have mm-hmm. to help people with some of these things. So you want to just do a quick little intro and I'll drop the link in the show notes, but do you just want to tell them what that is? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll tell them where to find me, where to find that. So Perfect. I'll put on my radio yes. announcer voice. I do this at the do end it. of every podcast. If you ever listen to, to any of my other podcast episodes, <laughs> I'm going to do this on every single one. It's my favorite dad joke. All right. Radio announcer voice. <clears throat> You can find my freebie, The Statement Piece Framework, over at HillaryWeiss.com. That's www.HillaryWeiss.com. H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-W-E-I-S-S. It's on my homepage. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's on my homepage. It's as a pop-up. And it's basically an idea generation tool for creative entrepreneurs who want to create more standout content, who want to, as I was saying before, like study their own mind, figure out what their own ideas even are. Because to your point about always taking in so much more outside information, the real valuable stuff is when we get quiet and start to notice our own ideas. So that's what that freebie is all about. Go grab it. Yay. Come say hi to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. If you are on any of those platforms uh, and you liked this episode, I would love to hear from you. Go ahead and drop me a DM there. I always love meeting people. I run all my own socials um, and I always love connecting with new folks. So I'd love to hear, you know, one takeaway, something you loved or maybe something you hated about the episode. Come say hello. I'm on Instagram at HC Weiss. That's where I spend most of my time and I would be delighted to meet you. And Lauren, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Of course, of course. It was so much fun. And that is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening in. It's because of listeners like you that I embarked on this podcast journey. So I would love to hear from you and your biggest takeaways, or as Hillary said, anything you didn't like. <laughs> so make sure that you're following along. Tag me on Instagram at it's Lauren Goldstein or LinkedIn or wherever you hang out on the interwebs. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. So which part of your business needs love and attention? You might be wondering that. Hmm. Here are your next steps. Head to goldenkeypartnership.com or the show notes below to schedule your diagnostic deep dive. Thanks for listening to the Biz Doctor Podcast. If you love the show, please share it with your colleagues or tag me on social media, especially LinkedIn. And subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast.